Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, everyone. The Holy Spirit is amazing, isn't it? First of all, I want to apologize because of my voice. I have a cold, like many of us. But if you can hear me through today, that's fine. Phil, what you've been just saying is my message. So basically, I don't need to preach anymore. So that's the way we know that the Holy Spirit is amazing. Because when God confirms something, it is evident for all to see. Amen. And this morning, I just want to share, to share something with you. And that's about... A very key message in the Bible taken from the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking at it. But the title of my message this morning is called A Matter of Identity. A Matter of Identity. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father God, King of kings and Lord of lords, I bless your holy name, Lord. I thank you for such an opportunity to be before you today, Lord, as your oracle. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will empower the word that I'm about to speak, that you will touch your children and that you will make them receptive, Lord. Not only that they will hear, but that they will receive in their hearts the word of God. And Lord Jesus, this is for us to grow. This is for us to know who you are. This is for us to know about your instructions. And Lord, I'm nothing. Let me decrease that you increase right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Why did I say that Phil preached um, my message? Basically... Is all about evangelism in a way. It's all about what God expects us to do. And please don't feel went about while people say again and again. It is not again and again. It is an assignment. We've got an assignment on this heart. We've got uh, on this earth. We've got an assignment which is God-given assignment. Sometimes people can give you assignment and task to do. This is a God-given assignment. It has the stamp of Christ Jesus upon it. And therefore, when you receive it, you just got to act upon it. Let's open the Bible, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. So apologies for those who have other versions. And I read, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. So basically, this message is a message of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was addressing his disciples, remember it's what we call the Beatitudes, otherwise known as a very strong message that God gives, Jesus Christ gives at the onset of his ministry, and then taking people on the mountain, on the top of a mountain, starting speaking 
blessing into their lives, but not only into their lives, blessings for those who will do a certain number of things. Because the kingdom of God is all about, yes, receiving the salvation from Jesus Christ, which is a free gift of salvation, but is equally about doing the things that God asks us to do. He said, what's the point to call him Lord if we do not obey? He called people so that they can sit at his foot on the top of a mountain, isolated from the noise, isolated from the worries and anxieties and saying, this is the people who will be blessed as part of my kingdom. And nicely he falls down into 13 where he says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. So he goes on again about you, you and I, being a very specific ingredient or tool in his toolkit. We are part of God's toolkit. Amen. It's time that we start realizing it. We are part of his toolkit. And he say, you. He could have said, my angels yeah, are part of my toolkit and I will send them to be salt of the earth. But he said, no, it's not my angels. It's you. You are my disciples. Now, last week, I think Jane talked about discipleship and she was saying that is, the disciples are those who are disciplined ones. Those who not only make a commitment to Jesus Christ, but have a certain ways of going about their Christianity. And that's what Jesus Christ said today. He said, you are the salt of the earth. And I just want to say that Jesus likens his disciples right now to salt and light. Which means that there are two presumptions here. And I will go. They are very simple, but there are two presumptions that we need to understand. The first one is that the world is decayed. is decaying, is decadent, is in continuous fall. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. That's why the world needs salt. The second point is the world is dark. People are wrapped in gloom and hopelessness and sitting in darkness. And that's why it needs light. And then guess what? Who better to provide the salt and the light than those who understand who the Savior is? Those who have a God who is able to do every single thing. A God who has given his life so that mankind can be set free. These are the people who can be salt and light. It is a very big commitment. And I'm sure, I'm sure again, we have read the Beatitudes. We have understood the message of being salt of the earth. We know what it means, do we? That's what I'm about to challenge you today. Because it's a different understanding that God has given me about this message. You know, the world is not getting better. The sad truth is it is not getting better. We have better technologies and that's fine. But it doesn't mean that the world is getting better. In fact, the Bible tells us in Timothy that evil will continue and evil men will grow worse and worse. Let's open our Bible in 2 Timothy 3, just for, for a minute. 2 Timothy 3, and I will read verse 1. So 2 Timothy 3 tells us, But know this, that in the last days, perilous time will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of God, traitors, headstrong, archy, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, and etc., etc. We've heard that before, don't, didn't we? Well, I'm sure we have. So what it's showing here is that 
the world is going worse and worse. And for me, I'm sorry for the world, but it's ridiculous to think for one second that things are getting better. Things are not. They are simply not. Because that's even what God is saying. The world is forging away. Here is the catch. Because the world is decaying, doesn't mean that we should give up. Because the world in which we live is decaying, doesn't mean that we should give up. In fact, Christ has a different expectation from us. He's telling his disciples that they have a role to play in a falling world. They have, we have a role to play in a falling world. It is a role that clearly has defined responsibilities, remit a role that requires us to take ownership. Have you ever taken ownership of something? When you go to war, they will ask you, well, you always pass it to the, bu- the bucket to somebody else. Well, you never take ownership. Well, you never want to be accountable. Christ is asking us today, take accountability. Take ownership of this mission I'm giving you. Don't just take it. Don't just listen to me. Don't just say, I may be. No, you are. I want you to be. Don't think you can be. Realize you are because I've given you the ability to be. I've given you that ability to. Don't ask if you are the salt. Am I really the salt? You are the salt. It's a statement from Christ. It is your status. When Christ looks at you in heaven, he sees that he sees you as the salt on your heart. So don't question that again. But take ownership. Because the outcome will depend on how we respond to that. And today is about a response. It's not about thinking. It's not about theology. It's about responding to the instructions of God. And we have the duty to do that. It's a fallen world. And then to be able to do that, we need to recognize that the world of Jesus', of Jesus time, it was the same world. It is the world that also had decayed. It was a world that was also falling. So when Jesus said, he was not just saying, Ahead of time, he was talking to his disciples in their time, in the time in which he was living. People were murdered. People were doing treason. People were treacherous. There was homosexuality. There was adultery, robberies, lies. There were wars in Jesus' time. Nothing different today. What is different, as I say, we are probably in a technological world. That's fine. Information is still the same. People motives are still the same. The enemy is still in this world. People are growing worse and worse. Worse at the point of Jesus saying that to his disciples and even worse today. All what we found is a way to make even louder the iniquities of this world. Because rather than being looking at your windows, whether there is somebody that will be naked that will be passing by, people now log www.pornography or whatever.com, and that's what they do, their iniquities. Technology just facilitates it. It doesn't change the mindset of people who are bent on shying away from God, who, in a, who are in a world that is decaying. And Christ is saying, recognize that. There is nothing different here. Recognize that. Jesus was able despite the decadence of his world, to have three solid years of ministry. Three solid years where he changed the mindset of people, when he groomed disciples, when he came to die for us to be alive today. And that's very important. Jesus died for humanity. He did not give up on the world that was even despising him. Brethren, don't underestimate the time that God gives you. It can be a month, it can be two months, Look at the testimony of Rob. That could have been, what, 20 minutes at the most? But he made the use of it. He made the most of it. That's what Phil is asking us to do, Pastor Phil. Make the most of what opportunity God gives you 
to be the salt in this earth, to preach the gospel to people. We've got that duty. They don't give up on the world where you live in. Just go and do what Jesus did. That's what he's asking us to do. There is only one Savior, only one Messiah. That's the truth. But Christ Jesus is asking us to be his offshoots, to do the same work. You see, the things that I've done, you will even be able to do greater. But then do we believe that we can do greater? Do we believe we can do better? But yes, we have the Spirit of God in us. Unless then it's a fallacy again. That's for us to take home. There is any part, we, we are definitely part of God's plan. We recognize that we are in a dark, dark world. We need to recognize that we can do what Christ has enabled us to do. Because we are his children. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God in us. So we can do it. Can we say we can do it? We can do it. Amen. And that's something that we need to remember daily. Even when the enemy says you can't. Even when the person you want to speak to is telling you, get away. Well, I'm not saying go and continue, but you've got somebody in you bigger than, those that, than the one who is in the world. And that's what you need to realize today. Christ is better, is bigger, is stronger, is Christ. And you know what? There's something I was thinking about um, last time. Um, sorry, I'm struggling with this, but I don't know what I feel. Uh, there was something I was thinking about last time. We talked about Christmas, and let me break here. We talked about Christmas because Phil was saying, hey, it's soon Christmas, and nobody responded. Well, I was shocked. Do you remember that? I was shocked because I, I, I thought, do we Christians still get excited about Christmas? Now, you think I'm breaking from my message? I'm not. Because if we fail to get excited about Christmas, then we have a problem of identity. We have a problem because we don't realize again who we are in Christ Jesus. And if we don't realize who we are in Christ Jesus, we can't be the salt. We can't do what Christ wants us to do. We can't season people. We can't change them. We can't influence them. There are people, when they come in the office, they change the atmosphere. They come in a place, they change it completely. Not saying a word, they just come. Sometimes you just need to turn up because God has put something in you that is so shining. It cannot be contained. It's there. You need to turn up. Just turn up. Sometimes you just need to be there so that people who are sorrowful feel that, no, I'm supported. My wife did tell me something before, which was a truth. She recently lost her, her mother. And um, on the way to the airport, I was just like, we were driving and then get stuck on the M25, you know, get delayed thinking we will miss the flight. But then she was quiet throughout. And I'm somebody who likes speaking. Sometimes I even don't, don't say much, but I like speaking. I like having that dialogue. And I'm like, Sita, you are very quiet. And she's like, well, well, well. Sometimes I'm quiet because I don't have anything to say. And then she reminded me something, that when you lost your parents, I was just there, standing there, listening to what you had to say. I didn't say much, I was just there. She was listening. And that being there sometimes makes the whole difference. Now, we are in this world where Jesus has put us. And he's telling us, do not love the world, but be there. That's what Christ is telling us. Be there. Well, God destroyed the world before because of iniquity. Let's realize that. Let's go back to Genesis. He destroyed and saved eight souls because the world was so sinful. Right? And it's likely that Christ is going to come again and people will have to be judged. But God saved these eight souls. Then the people who came after these eight souls, God still was expected a better world. But it didn't happen. Right? But when God puts us somewhere, it's because he knows that he can expect us to start releasing a very nice flavor. 
And when he says you are the salt of the earth, I think I have a problem conceptually understanding why does he use salt. I don't necessarily understand, you know, I didn't do chemistry. I know salt may have a lot of, you know, features, you know, uh, and then, well, to tell you the truth, personally, all I know about salt is I can't eat my food without salt. That's all I need. Then when I have my little one and my wife say, you know what, Henri just is young, he can't take the same sodium as us, so she cooks without salt, and she comes, how is my food? I say, <clears throat> it's nice. <laughs> but I struggle, right? Because I'm eating without salt. So she say, well, you can use the salt and add it on your food. But now, I also know, sometimes I want to impress her, and I decide, yeah, sit down, relax, put your feet up, have some me time, I'll cook. The first recipe failed when we do our breakfast is to make sure there is salt. Forget croissants, forget everything, salt. Because when you do the beans or these eggs and there is no salt, people will say, well, the women beat us. They are the better women's breakfast. <laughs> Bring salt first, and then we'll think. The reality with salt is that there is no substitute to salt. There is no substitute. You can have aromats, well, put all the aromats you want in your sauce, you still need to put some salt. The reality also with salt is that you cannot take one single grain of salt and put and expect that it will change the flavor. You spread the salt. You take a handful and put it down. That's where the power of God's church is. Because when you want to season things, you don't just say, myself, I'm going to go on evangelism in Cambridge and I will change the world and I will influence. Well, do that as part of your church. I'm not saying don't go, but what I'm saying is that we are much more effective as the body of Christ. The salt is much more effective when it is not just one single grain put in a sauce or put on the meat. But let's just look at the feature of salt because I believe Christ has something for us today. He's looking at the salt and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Do you know what could have to come about into the disciples' mind, being the salt of the earth? In their time, the Roman soldiers were being paid with salt. It was an exchange currency, right? Forget about the GBP, dollars, or whatever. It was an exchange currency. They are paid in salt. So I'm like, wow, it was precious, right? So, wow, we are the salt of the earth. We feel good about it. Because, well, we are actually um, indispensable. That's not the message of Christ. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And when we look at salt, first of all, we say that salt, season, um, it, is, it is a mineral, but that is used to season things. So that's the first one that we need to look at. Salt seasons. And then, salt also hinders the spread of corruptions. Why? Because it serves as a preservative. The same Roman used to say that nothing was more valuable than the sun and salt. Why? Because in the day where there was no refrigerator around, the only way they could preserve meat was to wrap it with salt. In fact, you even look at some Hebrew cultures at the beginning, and I think it is um, Hebrew, um, I'm not sure, I think it's uh, Jeremiah, let me think, think about, oh yes, their, their culture, sorry, I'm getting it there, sorry for that. So there is their culture, they were wrapping babies in salt at the onset. Why they were wrapping babies in salt is because when they were coming to birth, they could have had some scratches in being delivered. So they were putting some salt around the babies, washing them with salty water, you know, to make sure that the wounds were healed. And that's the third element of salt. It heals wounds. Salt heals wounds. Remember that. It's sort of a disinfectant. When you go back home in Africa, sometimes you don't have always access. And some, some places, you know, I mean, I'm happy to see in my village maybe they don't have water. Fine, I put my hands up. But the truth is, people use salt a lot over there. 
right? Because they need to be able to preserve food. They need to be able to, to clean wounds of the children. When they play, they fall, they put salt. It stings, right? But it helps the healing. And then salt also creates thirst. Well, you know, you are thirsty. You've just run 1,000 meters. Please go and grab a, a drink of salt. You will know the way you feel. Salt creates thirst. It creates thirst, and it's something that also is one of the features of salt. It helps bringing out the flavors of other ingredients. Okay, so that's high level what I understand from salt. I took it from the internet, but don't, don't mind. <laughs> what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us when Jesus Christ says you are the salt of the earth? So we say salt seasons food. And that's the same way Christ Jesus expects Christians, is, is expect the children of the kingdom to have the ability to season the unseasoned lives of the unbelievers. Let me take it away. The believers have the duty in the eyes of Christ Jesus to season the unseasoned lives of the unbelievers. Right? That's the first thing that Christ is, is telling the disciples. Not that you are precious, because yes, they are, but just that I like you to go into this world and become a flavor, a very strong flavor, a very strong tool to season the lives of the people in this decaying world. I want you to do that. It's a personal message. Now, the problem to that is onefold. I think it's one-sided. The problem to that is the world does not view us that way, right? The world is antagonistic to the message of the gospel. And therefore, Christians are party poppers, right? They are people who prevent other unbelievers to have fun. In fact, when you talk about Christianity to people who are in the circular world, they say, oh, well, these guys, they are boring. They don't know what to do. They need something to cling on into life. Well, so they prevent us from enjoying our life. And when Christ is telling us, season the lives of unbelievers, the unbelievers are saying, we are making their lives worse. We are actually unseasoning their lives. You see what's happening? And that's why the Beatitudes message is completely antagonistic to what people tend to do. It's completely different. Christ does not expect us to look at the way the world looks at things. He expects us to do the things to change the way the world looks at things so that we can draw them to the kingdom. The Bible says, let it be that we make the gospel attractive to the unbeliever. And the problem with that is by trying so hard to make it attractive, sometimes we want to become like honey, you know, trip trap, everything is nicey-nicey. Is that the point? Being nicey-nicey? Come on, people are perishing, you want to be nicey-nicey because you don't want to offend people? Right? We, I think it was Lee last week who came that, oh, there is a new regulation coming up, we prayed against it and fine. But being nicey-nicey? Do you think the world thinks twice about offending Christians? The, twice about putting in your face that there are principles that are against God? They don't think. They say, oh, well, what's the message we want? Do we want the message of we are salt? And that's the flavor, the feature of stingy salt. The stingy, stingy salt to actually confront the, the sinful world, the unrighteousness of the world. Or do we just want the message where people say, well, these Christians, they are really cool guys, you know. They don't bother us in what we want to do. I mean, what do you want? Which part of the fence do you want to be on? The point is not for us to be afraid of being stingy because it's another flavor, of a particular feature of the salt. 
I will tell you an example. Two people come to a pastor and feel if you have it in your ministry, just praise God because I will have given you a hint. <laughs> okay? Two people come to the pastor and say, ah, pastor, we've got that revelation. God is telling us to get married. So they come to you for counseling. Not you, Phil, right? They come to the pastor for counseling. And the pastor says, well, great. So shall we? So they go into his room and try to discuss. So the gentleman was a church member. The lady wasn't a church member. So the gentleman went through the teachings of the church surrounding discipleship, surrounding what it means to be a Christian, what it means in terms of Jesus Christ doing, what it means in terms of how you live your Christianity. That's exactly what happened. And so he he, he brings the lady and the pastor, knowing the gentleman doesn't even bother sort of interviewing him. And he goes to the lady, so what's your name? I'm not going to give a name because if I say Maria, all the Marias in the church will be upset. So I'm I'm Miss X. Okay, Miss X, so where do you go? Are you a Christian? Um, I've been a Christian all my life. Okay. Well, so you've been a Christian all your life. Where do you fellowship? Oh, well, sometimes I go to church, sometimes I don't, but, you know, I'm a Christian. Okay. So the pastor then asked her, can you please explain to me what Christianity means? Well, Christianity, you know, is you try to do hard, you try hard to do good every single time. It's tough, you know. The pastor sits and <clears throat> and he's like, okay, so um, why do you want to get married to this gentleman? Um, I think he loves me. That's fine. Um, have you been married before? Because then God started speaking to the pastor that there's something dodgy around that. Oh, well, you know, I'm in the process of being divorced, so I'm going to get married with him as soon as I'm divorcing. It's just a, a month old, and then I'm going to get married. The pastor got then upset. And he said to the gentleman, and he said to the lady, please get out of my office. You say, God wants you to get married, but you are completely living in sin. You say, God wants you to be married, but you are not even Christian. So which God are you talking about? That's why he told to the, the young lady. And the gentleman said, well, I thought that being a Christian, I could release my flavor into the life of this lady, and then we could become one. The pastor said, get out. Get out, because you fail to understand that God cannot be played with. And sometimes, we fail to understand exactly what it means to be the soul. The pastor was thinking. It's not nice to these people to hear that, but he was sat on the principles of God. And he gave them advice according to what God gave him. And sometimes it's not always pleasant. We are not necessarily meant to be honey in the lives of people. The Bible is not expecting that. God is not expecting that. What God is expecting is for us to be honey within the house and the church of God and salt, stingy for the unbelievers. Right? Let's open our Bible to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 2, 15. To 16, I read again from the New King James. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Then verse 16 says, To the one we are aroma of faith, and to the other the aroma of life, of life leading to life. Sorry, let, let me take it again. I, I misread it. Verse 16, To the one we are aroma of death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. In other words, we are honey to the believers, as I said, and salt to the unbelievers. That's very important. Salt makes us thirsty. I didn't mention it. I'm thirsty this morning not because I've drunk salt, 
but because I'm just talking too much. Salt makes us thirsty. We are to make unbelievers thirsty about Jesus Christ. So they come and ask us, what is it that you've got? That's the way to make it. What is it that you have got? How come you have so much peace within yourself in this situation? Where does this contentment come from when you don't even know what you are going to eat today? Why are you always happy even when things are bad for you? Why do you rejoice when your children are misbehaving? Why do you not cry when you don't have enough money in your bank account? You know, that's making people thirsty. They'll come to know what you have. They'll come to know why you are standing the way you are standing. When Lisa and Alan had the fire, they are still worshipping in church. Alan was probably playing better than he ever did. Well, <laughs> it's my assumption, right? They are praising God. Okay? Their situation, are you in their shoes? As a church, we stand with them. But are we in their shoes? Probably not. It's tough, it's difficult. You can live nightmares. You can see the way you could have died. But God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful to you both and to the church. But they are there praising, worshipping, clapping to the God with Almighty. What prevents you to clap when you have problems? What flavor do you release? Oh, the manager didn't give him his promotion and yet he goes and then he's grumbling again. Now, there are two types of people. Those who decide to actually have a positive output and a flavor that seasons the life of others. And there are those who are always negative about outlooks. Life is good in that we have the choice. If you think of a colleague, and I'm not saying you because I don't want to become personal, but if you think of a colleague that is always grumpy, that is always mourning. That is always unhappy. That is always complaining. What do you think the impact or the flavor of that person will be in his family? Towards his colleagues. Towards the, 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 the atmosphere around him. What do you think it brings? Well, you will easily say that person brings negativity. But there are other people who come. Like Steve, Lily. They come and always smiling. I mean, you come and then you have a headache in church. You don't about, think about paracetamol. You see Steve and Lily. Well, you smile. <laughs> what? You don't think it's cold at the entrance of the door. You see people smile. You smile. There are people who release that type of flavor. There are people like, oh, who will always say, well, you know what, Tim? They always say, my back is hurting, but let's praise God. I'm here in his house to praise God. You know? And that's the attitude we need to have. There are people who haven't got much, but they are giving a lot. And giving a lot is not necessarily in terms of monetary. Please, it doesn't mean don't give your tithes and offerings. Give. But giving a lot is about how you make yourself available and that flavor starting seasoning the lives of other people. That's what God wants. Let people be thirsty about your Savior. Creating thirst in people. Because then your answer to all their questions will always be because of Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ. Another feature of salt we say that salt hinders the spread of corruption and it serves as a preservative, right? So when we say it hinders the spread of corruption, look at it as decay, you know, something that is going off, something, you know, in terms of food-wise, you know. This, you put salt on it, it will certainly, at the onset, slow down the process of corruption, right? And at the best, when you apply it early, then it will help the preservation. 
Please, I know you know your Bible, and when I talk about salt and preservation, don't talk to me about the wife of Lot who disobeyed and got transformed in a pillar of salt. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about salt preservation in the sense that we are to be the people who stand and preserve the fundamental principle of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We are to stand strong on the rock which is immovable, the rock on which we stand is Christ. There is a song that way. This is our duty. Our responsibility is to own that responsibility, that duty to be preserving the gospel and godly values. It's not easy. Actually, it becomes challenging day by day. But Christ never said it would be easy. Christ just said, I've equipped you to do so. Just respond. Let the battle be mine. Just act. We are the clay is the potter. That's what the Bible tells us. Let us be the recipient of God's goodness to be flavoring the world with goodness, to be standing for what is right. What is right in the eyes of God, please, not what is right in the eyes of men. What is right in my eyes is that I don't want to be here on Sunday and I want to sleep. What is right in the eyes of God is that you should preach my word, right? What I don't want to do, God may want me to do it. When you are thinking about what you do after church, God is telling you, please bring back your mind in that service because I'm speaking to you. Let's stand on the principles of righteousness. We cannot trade off righteousness. We cannot trade off the principle of God. Okay, let's put a pause. Do you know there will be a point where there will be no way back? God is in plan for humanity as a plan where there will be a time, let's call it time T, where there will be no way back. Those who haven't accepted Jesus Christ will be on one side and those who have will be on another side. But those who are on that dark side will not be able to come back. They will not. It will come. So it's good to have the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel. Oh, thou behold your sins, you know, look into that. What is also true is that the day will come. The Bible says as a thief in the night, that day will come. And therefore, what we want to have in mind is that we want to make sure that as much as is within us, as much as the Holy Spirit enables us, we want to be these people that God chooses. Day in, day out. Whether it's comfortable, convenient or not, that's not the point. We want to let people know that you are blessed, you are loved, God is there and has died for you. We want to speak that out. I will give you an example. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on my way home. I was on my way home and I thought I would make it home. And I didn't make it home. I made it at the hospital. Falling on a platform, you know, having to fall off the train, falling on a platform, having the paramedics looking after me for 40 minutes, then sending me to an hospital I've never heard of. Found myself to the hospital, got all the painkillers I needed. And then, here I am. In the middle of my pain, and I'm like, well, here we go again. It's not more than two weeks, people prayed for me in the church. I remember Mel also praying for me, specifically, and the church prayed for me. So I was, you know, equipped with, yeah, I'm not going to go back to the hospital. But there I found myself, and then you are like, posing. Oh, what does it mean for me? They are very comfortable. <laughs> Maybe you can have more. <laughs> what does it mean for me? 
And um, so when the painkiller started having its way, you know, the pain started fizzling away. Then I got transferred to another hospital, which I believe was in Stevenage. So first day, I was knocked down by the painkillers. I wasn't really myself. <laughs> the Holy Spirit being the Holy Spirit, he doesn't look at your infirmities and iniquities and your short, short cords and short, shortcomings. God is then telling me, can you minister to these guys who are in those beds? And I'm like, what? What is that? I can't. I need more painkillers. What? It's like, yeah, this man, he's been abusing all the nurses throughout the day. Speak to him. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So I went to speak to him. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, you're a Christian. Oh, well, and I looked at his eyes. He was like, you're a Christian. You're in the hospital, right? Oh, come on. And I went, I'm a Christian, but I'm ill. <laughs> but I'm still a Christian, right? And I say, are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, come on, I don't believe in Christ. You again. But because we are both on a sick bed, I think he created the platform at least for me to understand what he has to say. And for him, hopefully, to receive the seed I had to put into his life. That despite the fact that his own daughter-in-law was uh, having cancer and was probably condemned, and the fact, the fact that he, he himself was anti-Christians, I still had to put the seed that there is one and only one God. You don't see it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You see the plane, you don't see the pilot. God is in this world. God leads everything. Whether you accept it or not, that's your call. I've thrown my seed. Bye-bye and good night. That was the thing. And God says again, what about the guy in front? Oh, no. Okay, so the guy in front, I was a little bit more scared because he wasn't himself throughout. And then I went to speak to him. Well, sorry. <laughs> he wasn't himself throughout. I, he, he was really suffering drugs, painkillers, and all these things. And I understand, I understood later by talking to his relatives that he's just been diagnosed with cancer. Again. And he started chemotherapy. So he wasn't really good, you know. And I'm like, well, I've got just pain, right? He's level 10, but he's nothing like being diagnosed with cancer, right? So I can't complain. And God says, speak to him. So I went to him. And I say, yeah, I'm Jean-Louis, I'm a Christian. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. What's happening? Well, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And I'm like, sorry, I'm sorry for, to hear that. Are you a Christian? No. Do you know that Jesus Christ is real? And then as soon as I say that, he started crying. Well, 50 plus old, we cried. And then I said, what is it? If the nurses come there, they will think that, what am I doing to the rest of the patients, right? <laughs> He started crying. So I didn't want to cry with him because I didn't have a reason to cry. I was in pain. It was enough. But then I felt that God was the one who indeed sent me. You know, Phil, that this is the time when you have the confirmation that God is up to something. Just act. And then I say, well, I'm really sorry that you are going through that. He said, yeah, my dad believes in Jesus. I don't. Then I started drilling then. Why don't you believe, you know? And then started talking him through the fact that there is hope in Jesus Christ. That even if he doesn't get healed of his cancer, God does not look at his body. The body is decaying the same way the world is decaying today. The body will decay ultimately. God looks at our soul, at our salvation. God wants us to be saved. God wants us to live in eternity with him. Irrespective of what we are going through today. Because that's his purpose. And you could see in his eyes there was that glimmer of hope that started coming. And I'm like, wow, okay, I've done my job. God, can I go back and lay in my bed? And I go back in my bed, and God said, you didn't give him the full gospel. Oh! 
So I said, what? Take your Bible, go and show it to him. Okay? Thankfully, I had my Bible, right? It's good to commute to work because I wouldn't have had my Bible. So take my Bible and I open the book of Romans again and start going to them. And then I say, oh, by the way, what I told to you is not me saying it. Can you read it for me? He read. Then he started crying again. Can you read the other one? Yes, that's what God is. That's who God is. And he loves you. And that was it. And then God is okay now. Can I go and see? And then that was it. The next day I, I went out of the hospital. What I'm trying to say to you, Jesus Christ had three years of ministry. You may have one minute to speak to somebody. You have one minute to be the salt in the life of that person. Forget about the fact that the world doesn't like you. You can have one minute or a split second. Just do it. Forget about wearing nice. They have a logo. Just do it. Just do it as in the principle from God. Just do it. You can speak to your colleagues, to your friends. You can speak about God. It doesn't take any way, anything away from you. We are going to go as a church, and I'm sure it will be massive. It will be excellent, and we will see miracles and signs and wonders. But equally, we need to be these persons that God chose. God says something. You, not your friend, not your family, not your pastor, not your church member, you are the salt of the earth. It's very emphatic. It's not like, as I said at the beginning, you can be thought. You are. But, you know, what scares me really is when we go to what he says next. Let's, let's read it again. He say, you are the salt of the earth, but if, and that's what scares me, the, but if, he goes, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Not by me, by men. Hello? You are the salt of the earth. But, so the but is a possibility. The salt can lose its flavor. You know what? Again, I read on the internet that the only way pure salt can lose its, can lose its attribute is if it is mixed with other chemicals. Yeah, we know that salt is a mineral, right? We know that. But if it is mixed with other chemicals, then it loses its attribute. Then, the difficulty with some manipulation, chemical mani uh, chemistry manipulation, so those who have done biochemistry, you can probably put some features back into the molecule or whatever, and but salt you cannot. You can never bring the flavor back. That's it. It's gone. And what may make us lose our flavor? Because God is telling us, I want to send you. I'm sending you. In fact, not I want to send you. You are to be the flavor in this world. But you can lose your flavor. And losing our flavor is losing our testimony. Do you know what it means? You lose your testimony before unbelievers. You don't get it back. First of all, they are always on the lookout to condemn you. And you lose that testimony because, oh, well, I just got upset and I just said something that I shouldn't have said or I just did something that I shouldn't have done. Well, let the Holy Spirit always allow you to be in check. Because once you lose that testimony, oh, well, we saw him coming out of a place, in a dodgy place. He shouldn't have been in that place. We saw him doing that. No. Let righteousness prevail. Because Christ is saying that don't lose your flavor in this world. I won't trample over him. I can't forgive you anyway. I can't. Men will not. You will be trampled over them. Do you know so the guy who comes to tell you in the morning, well, what have you done on Sunday? Oh, I've gone to church. He goes to church. This guy, he always swears at the other colleagues. He goes to church. This guy, 
Are you sure? He's always upset. He's always shouting at his wife over the phone. What flavor are you having? Because people watch. People watch. I was a Christian before and I'm no longer a Christian. Well, okay. Be a Christian. God is giving you that helping hand. God is giving us that hand of love because he loves us. He loves us that he died. He allowed Jesus Christ to die for us. God loves us that he allowed Jesus Christ to die for us. Christ loves, God loves us that he allowed Jesus Christ to die for us. Let it resonate in your hand. In your head. Let your hand act. Your feet go where they need to go. Your head think about Christ Jesus daily. Because the time you stop doing it, the moment you give an opportunity for not being the salt of the earth. Our identity is in Christ. And it is very fundamental that we get it right. First Peter 2.9 says that you are, you, not me, only you, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Man, think about something special that you've got. But you are God's special possession. And he said that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So don't ever think you are in darkness. He said, yes, be a light of the world. If God is saying be a light in this world, then he will not use darkness to be a light. <laughs> it cannot be. It just cannot be. And I'm not going to dwell on that because I was, the focus of this message today is about salt and about the flavor and about the identity. What is our identity? Our identity is not who we know. Our identity is not the job that we have. It's not the car that we ride. It's not the friends that we have, the connection and the money that we have. Our identity is Christ Jesus. It should always be that. It will always be that. That idea is what we present at the gates of heaven when God calls us back. That idea is what allows us to go through the doors that are closed for us in this world. <clears throat> that idea is what allows us to be all out of power. The power of God to change and transform. That's what we need to remember. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we all have in us to obey or to disobey. We all have in, in us. What makes us a recipient of the favor and beauty and glory of God is how we respond. So today... Although Phil has said that, yes, I know I'm banging on you on with evangelism. And today, although I've come again to tell you you are the salt, go out and be the salt. You just have to make a choice. You will be the salt, but do you want to be a salt-free savor type of salt? Or salt that releases flavor, joy, abundance? A salt that releases things that only God knows how he will use them in the lives of people. Do you want to be a gospeler or a gossiper? Do you want to be an example of godliness? Do you want to follow the principles of righteousness with your friends, family, co-workers, even with your spouse and your children? Do you want to be Christ-like at all times, in all things, including your habits? Do you want to speak faith, to act faith, and to see by faith? Do you want to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ today? That's the question. You have the answer. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. 
for further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.